Hey, we're in a two-part series called Biblical Parenting, and uh, last week I talked to you about the four responsibilities of a parent. You've got to prepare your kids for life, protect your kids in storms, play with your kids for fun, and point your kids to Christ. And uh, we had a great time with that one. Friday night I was in the home of a family from here at Rockbrook, and uh, they got uh, little preschool kids, and one of the little uh, girls said to me, thank you, Pastor Kelly, for teaching my family to have more fun. <laughs> and uh, she was doing those little coloring pages, you know, that are, have all the really intricate designs in them that people like to color. And, and uh, I said, if you color one of those for me, I'll take it home, put it up on my refrigerator. And, and uh, so she worked on one and came back a little bit later, and she just used one color and colored just a few of the sections in it. And she gave it to me, and she said, if you leave white on the page, it makes the colors pop. So I just took her home with me. Um, what a cool kid. Anyway, today is part two of biblical parenting. Uh, nothing compares to parenting. Uh, no job, no career, no adventure. Uh, nothing compares uh, to the awesome responsibility of raising a human being. It, it's no accident that the parenting process begins with a thing called labor. Because parenting is hard work. Uh, Proverbs 24.3. Let's read this out loud together. It takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. Circle wisdom and understanding. If you want to have a good, strong family, uh, you've got to get those. Unfortunately for us, God has given us a resource for wisdom and understanding. He's given us a guidebook for the family in the Bible. And today, I want to lay out for you five things that God says that we can do to bring out the best in our kids. So jump right in. On your notes on the screen, it says the starting point is to accept their uniqueness. I have to recognize and value the individuality of each one of my kids. I mean, every single child in your family is different uh, and unique. I grew up in a family of five of us, four boys, one girl. We are, all five of us are as different uh, from one another as we could possibly be. I got three kids that are as different as, as they can be. Seven grandkids, they're all, uh, each one of them is extremely unique. Got a set of identical twins. It's amazing how much they are alike and how much they are uh, each one unique. You've got to recognize the uniqueness uh, of your children. Now, the Bible tells us that God intentionally makes everybody different. 1 Corinthians 12, 6 says, God works through different people in different ways. And so God makes us different. Our DNA, our personality, our gifting, our abilities, our likes, our interests, our dislikes, I mean, we're just different. And for one thing, it, the world would be extremely boring if we were all alike. But the other reason God does that is so everything gets done. Because not everybody likes to do the same stuff. And what turns your crank turns somebody else off. And what, what you like to do, somebody else doesn't like to do. And so God makes us all different, so everything gets done. And one of the great tasks of parenting is helping each child realize that they're unique. They don't have to compare themselves to anybody else. They don't have to measure up to anybody else. They don't have to be like anybody else. They're not in competition with anybody else. They are an original, not a carbon copy. Now, there are some competing pressures in the world that work against that. And one of them is just the pressure to conform. 
As kids grow up and move into adolescence and into the teenage years, peer pressure sets in and it's just this intense desire to conform. The pressure to fit in and be like everybody else and the culture works on that, on that as well. And the other is the pressure of comparison. And that's one that we kind of bring on ourselves. We just have this innate uh, desire to compare. We compare everything. We compare our looks, our clothes, our cars, our homes, everything. But you are unique. And nobody is like you. So why compare? Galatians 6.4 says, Each person should judge his own actions and not compare himself with others. Then he can be proud for what he himself has done. Don't compare yourself to other people. Just you're responsible for your own actions. Do those the best you can, and then you can be proud of what you've accomplished. Now, as a parent, how can you tell when you've accepted your kid's uniqueness? You stop insisting that they be like you. You stop insisting that they like what you like, that they think the way you think, that your hobbies are their hobbies, that the things you were good at in school, they're good at in school, or worse yet, they're even better than you were. You know, that message comes through loud and clear to a kid. I, I, I can't be myself. The only way I can get approval and acceptance is if I'm like mom and dad. But your goal in life is not to mold your kids in your image. The goal of a parent is to unfold your kid to be the person that God made them to be. First uh, Corinthians 13.5 says, Love does not demand its own way. And so if you love your kids, you're not going to demand that they be like you. You're going to let them be unique. And so when your child's acting in a way that is foreign to you, I mean, you're thinking, what planet are you from? You just need to trust God that, that God has made them to be the way they need to be. You know, God, God made you unique, he made your kid unique, and he brought you together into a family because he knew you needed each other. So the first step is to accept your kids as God's unique gift to you. Now, everybody look up here for just a moment, because I'm going to turn this message on its head right here. Because How many of you are parents? Well, let's do this. Okay, look around here. Man, I mean, that's just amazing. A lot, a lot of parents. Okay, let me ask you this question. How many of you have or had parents? <laughs> okay, okay, so you're all kids. Somebody didn't raise their hand, point them out to us later, because there's aliens among us, okay? So, you know, and here's the deal. Once a parent always a parent. I mean, would you agree with that? Those of you who are older and have grown kids, I mean, you're once a parent, always a parent. Once a kid, always a kid. I mean, I'm 61 years old. I am still responding and reacting to my parents, even though they passed away years ago. My mother-in-law is 94, and I'm amazed at how much a 94-year-old woman responds and reacts to her parents still. I mean, it just comes up in conversation all the time. You know, well, my dad did this, or my mom did that, or, you know, our folks, we never did this, or my folks would have enjoyed this. I mean, once a kid, always a kid. And so you need to recognize the, the, the same five things that you do as a parent to bring out the best in your kids, you can do those as a kid to bring out the best in your parents. You know, you, you need to accept your parents' uniqueness. There is no one like your dad. There is no one like your mom. Their DNA, their personality, their life circumstances, their situation, for good or bad, there is no one like them. 
And God created those two unique individuals and brought them together to make a unique you. And the older I get, the more I appreciate the unique nature of my parents. The the more I realize how much God used my parents (laughs) to make me. And the more I understand my parents, the more I understand myself. And the more I value my parents, the more I come to value myself. And the more I honor my parents, the more I honor God. So, you know, if you want your parents to accept you as unique, you got to accept them as unique. Because God works through different people in different ways. And that's true whether you're 6, 16, 61, or 94. Accept your uniqueness. Accept their uniqueness. Number two, bring out the best in your kids. You've got to affirm their value. You know, many parents accept the uniqueness of their kid, but they don't communicate to them that they accept them. And even though the parents may do it, they they don't communicate it. Uh, Psalm 139 says, You made my whole being. You formed me in my mother's body. I praise you because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. What you have done is wonderful. No baby is born by accident. There are no accidental kids. There may be accidental parents. Okay? Parents may not have planned it. But once that conception happens, God is at work in creating that human life. And God values that human life. And it is an amazing, wonderful work of God. And as parents, it's our job to convey that value to our kids. And we got to do it in a deliberate and intentional way they can understand. So how do we communicate that value? Three suggestions for you. First way to affirm your child's values through attention. Uh, The missing factors in families today is simply time. We, We don't spend a lot of time together. And busyness fills a schedule, but it fractures families. And you got parents going their direction, doing their thing, and kids going their way and doing their thing, and, and it, it's a problem. And so you've got to, uh, it's got to be focused, intentional attention. And a couple of ways you can do that. One is through eye contact. When you make eye contact, you are giving someone the gift of yourself. And you're, you're saying to that person, I value you because I'm willing, I'm willing to look you in the eye. And some of you are really good at doing more than one thing at a time. I mean, you can read the paper, you can watch TV, you can work on a report, you can can do three things at one time. But when your kid walks into the room and says, I want to talk to you about something, you need to stop. You need to look up. And you need to look them in the eye. Because when you do that, you're communicating, you have value. You have value to me. Second way to to show that you value your kids is just mealtimes. You know, that's a lost art in our day. Hy-Vee had a sign up that said that studies had shown that kids that eat meals together with their family, their grades are higher. Uh, Home Life magazine uh, did a study and found that well-adjusted teenagers eat more meals together with their families than poorly adjusted teenagers. There's just something about the conversations that happen, about the parent-child interaction, about the feeling of fellowship and belonging that just helps a teen adjust to the challenges of life. Any meal that you eat with your teenager is the most important meal of the day. 
Second way you, you show that your kids have value is through affection. Affection. You've got to try to make physical contact with your kids uh, when they come in the door. I mean, some kids are huggers, and they'll seek you out. And some kids are not. You've got to track them down. And you may have to track them down, give them a hug from behind while they're on the computer, or rub the back of their little head while they're looking in the fridge. You know, whatever you've got to do to you know, connect physically with that kid. And you may not have grown up in a physically expressive family, and so that may come hard for you, but as a parent, you've got to overcome that. I mean, you know, you, you know how much hugs mean to you, and, and so don't rob your kids of what you've been robbed of. Uh, you know, make sure that you meet that need in your kid's life. Number three is appreciation. Just let them know that they've done a good job. Thank them. And, and, and you know, it, it may, you may be thanking them for a chore that you've had to harp on them to get them to do. But thank them for doing it. And when you see them making progress in an area where maybe they're struggling, just recognize it. Hey, I'm really proud of you. You're doing much better with that. You're, you're, you're coming along. You know, write them notes. It doesn't have to be a special occasion, special day, just an ordinary day. Write them a note. Tell them you're glad they're part of your family. Because those words of encouragement go a long way in raising their value in their own eyes. Proverbs 12.25 says, A word of encouragement does wonders. You want to work a wonder? You want to do something wonderful? Then speak a word of encouragement into the, into the life of your kid. Just show your kids that, that God has given them value. And, and that will help them value themselves. Kids. You need to do the same thing to your parents. And again, I don't care how old your parents are. I don't care how old you are. You need to do the same things. You need to look them in the eye when you talk to them. You, you need to give them a hug. You need to write them notes of appreciation. I mean, you know, this, this thing, it, it works both ways. I got a stack of little notes that I've gotten from my kids over the years. But, you know, they, they just offhand thing they've written and they don't, probably don't even realize I've got a stack of them that I dig out on really bad days and read because everybody else hates me, but my kids at one point in time love me. I mean, it just means a lot. And then you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at the positive response you can get from your parents when you value them. Third thing, uh, to bring out the best in your kids, you've got to trust them with responsibility. Nothing brings out the best in a kid than having somebody believe in them. And, you know, have somebody trust them with responsibility. Now, Jesus said that's the way we grow. It's the way we grow spiritually. Luke 16, he says, Whoever can be trusted with a little can also be trusted with a lot. And if you cannot be trusted with things that belong to someone else, who will give you things of your own? So wise parents recognize that kids need places where they can grow and be trusted and prove themselves uh, to be responsible. It's one of the most important life skills that, that you can teach a kid is to learn to be responsible. And the only way you can learn that life skill is by being given the opportunity to be irresponsible. I mean, you just got to give, the, the, give them the chance to blow it. And parents, you I just have to realize, you know, things are going to get lost Things are going to get broken. Pets are going to die. <laughs> I mean, you just got to realize that that's, that's just what happens with kids. And it's an investment in who they are to trust them with that responsibility. 
You know, Jesus spent three and a half years with his 12 disciples. And, and you know, these 12 guys, if you looked at those 12 guys, they, they never should have gotten along. They never should have accomplished anything. I mean, they're just a band of misfits. You've got these uh, independent fishermen. You've got Matthew, who's a tax collector. He's a collaborator with the Romans. You've got Simon the Zealot, who's a religious terrorist. I mean, Matthew and Simon should have been killing each other, not being in the same small group together. <laughs> I mean, it just... Uh, you know, but Jesus developed these guys. He trusted them. He gave them responsibility. In fact, one day he said, I'm going to leave and go to heaven, and I'm leaving the salvation of the world in your hands. Would you have done that? Well, it worked, because <laughs> here we are. We're here. And, you know, I mean, he, he, he just poured responsibility on those guys, and they rose to the occasion. You know, researchers asked a group of older parents with grown children. They said, if you could do it over again, what would you do differently? The number one response was, I would do less for my kids, and I would teach them to do more for themselves. I'd do less for them and teach them to do more. I would trust them with more responsibility. Because it brings out the best in your kids. Now, when your kids are young, I mean, you're, you're totally responsible for them. They, don't, they show up, they don't know how to feed themselves, clothe themselves, bathe themselves. But you know, from the moment that child is born, the releasing process has started. That, that, that's the process. Your role is not to keep them dependent on you for life. Your goal is to have, take them from being totally dependent on you to being independent to being dependent on God. That's the process of parenting. And part of bringing out the best in your kids involves allowing them to fail. But our tendency is to try and protect our kids from failure. And when they do fail, we want to swoop in and clean it all up before they suffer any of the consequences. But when you do that, you're robbing your kid of a very important life lesson. They've got to learn how to rebound from failure. If you protect your kid from failure, if you don't let them face the consequences of their own stupid decisions, number one, if you protect them when they're little, as they get bigger, the consequences of their bad choices become far greater. And so you're exposing them to greater risk later. And also, if they've never learned how to fail, then they're just devastated when it happens, and it, and it destroys them. But sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And kids need to learn how to lose with grace just like they need to learn how to win with humility. And, and when you don't give your kids the opportunity to fail, you're saying, well, you know, I don't trust you. You, you can't handle it. You're not competent. I've got to do it for you because you can't do it good enough. And that keeps them dependent on you. Galatians 6.5, we are each responsible for our own conduct. And so to bring out the best in your kids, you've got to give them responsibility and then you've got to hold them responsible for their actions. Kids, you want to bring out the best in your parents, become responsible. Become responsible. Step up to the plate and assume responsibility for your actions. Recognize the responsibility that your parents carry as parents. I mean, it's not, it's not easy being a kid. Step up to the plate. It, it, it's not easy being a parent. Recognize the weight that your parents are carrying. Help each other be responsible for your family. And it'll bring out the best in everybody. Number four. Bring out the best in your kids. You've got to correct them without condemning them. 
Nobody's perfect, so we all need correction. Uh, Hebrews tells us that, that God disciplines us because he loves us as his children. In fact, if I don't discipline my kids, it, it means, first it means I'm willing to participate in their destruction. Proverbs 19, 18, correct your children while there is still hope. Do not let them destroy themselves. If I don't correct them, if I don't teach them the right way to behave, the right way to do things, the right way to, to, to live, I'm setting them up for destruction. Uh, Proverbs 13, 24 says, if you refuse to discipline your son, it proves you don't love him. You know, too many parents think they're being loving when they just let their kid do whatever he wants to do. No. That's, that's being unloving. That's setting them up for destruction. You've got to correct them if you love your kids. But how do we correct without condemning them? See, that's the bad part, the condemning part. And the first thing is, is you don't correct in anger. When you're correcting your kid, anger's got to come out of the process. Ephesians 6, don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline, with suggestions and godly advice. Now, when you're frustrated and angry, it can be very freeing to release that anger onto a kid. Okay? I mean, you know, it, it, can, it can feel good to vent that frustration. But the problem is, is that when you respond in anger, it doesn't eliminate the frustration. It just transfers it from you to the kid. In fact, it, it doesn't reduce or remove the frustration in the family. It multiplies it and exaggerates it. Because you've you got to deal with your anger, not just dump it onto your kid. Because you start dumping it onto other family members, it just and it rebounds back at you. So you, got, you can't correct with anger. You've got to deal with the anger and correct with solid, disciplined, godly advice. Second way to correct without condemning is, is to watch your words. Don't use harmful words. Use only helpful words, the kind that build up. Because harmful words create hurtful memories. Harmful words are like little knives in the heart. A, a good question to ask yourself. I know you love your kids. I know you love your parents. I know you love your spouse. But a good evaluation question to ask is, is do I like my kids? Do I like my spouse? And am I treating them like I like them? That's important to ask. How many of you remember Pac-Man, the old Pac-Man video game to me? Oh good, this illustration might work. Remember in Pac-Man, there's that little blue guy that's just chomp, 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 we're just running around. Is that how you're acting with your family? I mean, are you, just, are you just chasing them down with harmful, hurtful words, pointing out every little critical thing about them and, you know, every little, little thing that irritates you or that they're doing wrong? I mean, you know, are you just devouring your family with, with critique and criticism? You know, it, it, you don't do that if you like people. You've got to treat them like you like them. And so parents, you've got to correct your kids without condemning them. And kids, if you're going to bring out the best in your parents, you've got to receive correction without condemning your parents. And again, I don't care what age you are. I mean, my 94-year-old mother-in-law will speak correction into my life. And you've got to receive it. 
You got to receive it without condemning. You know, your parents point something out you need to you need to do differently. You just receive the correction. Recognize they love you. They're trying to help you, and don't lash back and condemn your parents. Receive the correction they offer. Take it to heart. You get caught up in that crazy cycle of saying hurtful words to each other. Listen, you know, we talk a lot about the hurtful words parents say to kids, but I'll tell you what, kids can say hurtful words that will wound a parent for the rest of their life, even at a young age. And don't do that. I mean, parents offer correction without condemnation. Kids, receive correction. Nobody's perfect. Receive it without condemnation. And, and life will work out better for everybody involved. Number five, bring out the best in your kids. You've got to love them unconditionally. Next to pointing your kids to Christ, the most important thing you can do is, is teach them that God loves them unconditionally and that you love them unconditionally too. I mean, you are loved not because you deserve it, you've earned it, or you're good enough. You are loved because you are. God loves you just because you are. And we need to love them the same way as parents. Now, how do we show unconditional love? Well, a couple of ways. One is you, you forgive your kids the same way God has forgiven you. Ephesians 6, be kind and loving to each other, forgiving each other just as God forgave you in Christ. I mean, I like God to forgive me. It feels good to be forgiven. I want to be forgiven. And God tells me i got to forgive other people. If I want him to forgive me, i got to be forgiving. You know, parenting requires massive doses of forgiveness. I mean, you're in a position all the time that you have to forgive your kids for the things that they do. Forgive as you have been forgiven. And you're going to, you know, you just have to. Next, never give up on your kid. Never give up. If you love someone, you will always believe in him and always expect the best of him. I love the Phillips translation. It says, love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. You know, we, we can face just about anything if we know somebody believes in us. And if we know somebody has faith in us, somebody thinks we can do it, somebody thinks we're going to make it, I mean, you can hang on. Romans 8 details all the things that cannot separate us from the love of God. No stupid mistake on our part, no dumb decision, no period of rebellion, no overwhelming doubt, nothing can separate us from the love of God, our Father. And as parents, we've got to develop that same kind of love for our kids. No matter, no matter what stupid thing our kids do, no matter how many times they walk away, we give them that kind of unconditional love. Kids. Your mom, your dad, they are not perfect. They're not. They're going to fail. And because they're not perfect, they're going to need your forgiveness. And you've, just like you need their forgiveness... And so you've got to forgive them the same way that God forgives you. You've got to forgive them the same way they forgive you. Family is fueled by unconditional love. Now these five things are the same five things that God does for you. 
God accepts your uniqueness. He appreciates your value. He trusts you with responsibility. He corrects you without condemning you. And he loves you unconditionally. And so the, the goal to being a good parent is God wants you to treat your kids the same way God treats you. And the way to be a good kid is to treat your parents the same way that God treats you. You know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close here with, with a parent's prayer. It's out of the book of Psalms. David prayed this. He said, I will try to walk a blameless path. And, and parents, that, that, I mean, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do the best we can. We're trying to walk a blameless path. But how I need your help, especially in my own home, where I long to act as I should. The acid test of Christianity is not how you act at church. The acid test is not how you act in small group. The acid test is not how you act at work. It's how you act in the home. How do you act in the home? And the key to becoming a great parent is to become a godly person. The key to being a great kid is to become a godly person. How do you do that? First, you've got to receive Jesus Christ. You can't be a good parent or a good kid until you become a child of God. And the Bible says that the way we're given the power to become the children of God when we trust in Jesus Christ. And so it starts, you've got to give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you do that, then you can pray and ask God for help. Because now you're connected. And so you say, God, I need wisdom and understanding to make a good, strong family. I need wisdom and understanding to be a good parent. I need the wisdom and understanding to be a good kid. And you just ask God for help. Third thing you got to do is you got to pray for each other. And I know as parents we pray for our kids. But parents, have you ever asked your kids to pray for you? I mean, you ever just ever ask him, you know, I need help. Will you pray that I'll be a good parent? And invite them to pray for you. Because that prayer together, and praying for one another, is going to unleash that wisdom, that understanding, the power of God in the life of your family. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that, that you accept our uniqueness, you affirm our value, you trust us with responsibility. You correct us without condemning us and you love us unconditionally. So God, I pray that, that you would help us to treat our kids the way you treat us. Help us to treat our parents the way you treat us. God, I, th I thank you that you stand ready. That Jesus Christ is ready, the Spirit is present and ready in our life to help us anytime, anywhere, in any way. And so God, we would just pray that you would help us to build good, strong families based on the wisdom and understanding that comes from your word and that we would see great things, a work and a wonder happen in our families as a result. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.